This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk. Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, prevention, fitness, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Dennis. Very excited about today's guest as he is my first, I believe he's my first repeat guest. And so you might remember Dr. Robert Yoho from way back in the beginning, uh, where we talked about his book, Butchered by Healthcare. If you have not heard that podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to that and, and even read the book because it's, it's really kind of summarizes the whole premise of my podcast, which is exposing the sick model of healthcare and what's wrong with our healthcare. And that's kind of, you know, what motivated me to, to start this progress or this podcast in the first place. I, I just really encourage you, if you have not listened to Butcher by Healthcare, to go back and listen to that. Um, but I'm having Dr. Uh, Yoho back on the show because he has written another book called Hormone Secrets, Feel Great and Age Well Using Bioidenticals. And I know I did a uh, series on hormone replacement a while back, but I believe he's going to add some stuff to that as well as, you know, maybe just take a little bit different slant on it. And I've introduced Dr. Yoho before, so I'll be brief in his introduction, but he uh, is now a retired physician who has uh, become author and has written several books as we've been talking about. Um, he spent the majority of his career doing cosmetic surgery and anything else I get, I guess I'll uh, kind of let him add to that. So Dr. Yoho, uh, welcome back to the show. Okay, Greg. Thank you. Thank you so much. And congratulations on your podcast. I'm, as I said, in the pre preliminary introduction, I, I, I've listened to 85 or 90% of them. And I mean, almost all of them are excellent. Um, so first off, you don't have to doctor me. I'm out of the foreign <laughs> legion and retired <laughs> yeah. and happy about it. Yeah, I had a fabulous career, but, and then the second thing is I got to do this quick legal disclaimer because all the lawyers and all the problems, this is for informational purposes, purposes only, you know, you should use this information at your own risk. And if you want healthcare, you got to find a licensed provider and I'm not it. So the, the sorry to throw that wet blanket on it, but it's necessary in today's climate. Absolutely. Well, so um, I, I want to ask you in a minute, kind of what motivated you to write a book about hormones. But before we get there, as you open the book and I, and I, this may be like the very first sentence in the book, but if it's not, it's close. And I love it. I started, but it said corporations have disfigured healthcare which I loved. I think I highlighted. So that's kind of a good intro, I guess, to, to not only talk about why you start talking about hormones, but then also kind of maybe give a brief summary of your previous book, Butchered by Healthcare. So how have corporations disfigured healthcare? Th thank you. Thank you, Greg. Um, it, it's such a mess. I have a hard time uh, summarizing it, but it's, um, we've rained money out of the sky at, on healthcare. And what happened is it brought in the entrepreneurs and really the crooks. And so healthcare is twice the size of any other developed country. It's 20% of our gross domestic product instead of 10. And it's 50% of it's ineffective, as Greg has probably uh, 
outlined, as you understand, if you're uh, listening to some of Greg's uh, podcasts. So I'm going to just briefly explain how the parts interlock. And uh, my con contribution to hormone therapy for your listeners will be to show how medical corruption has influenced the hormone sphere and, and why there are false narratives out there. So the first thing that everyone should get clear is the FDA is one of the most corrupt organizations in the United States. And I don't say that casually because there are many corrupt organizations, including the World Health Organization and the NIH and all these other government organizations. But the FDA has been essentially bought by industry because it's uh, well over half of its uh, revenues are not from tax revenues, but they are from user fees since around the early tw uh, 21st century, uh, and a law was enacted, and they take uh, revenues directly from the drug companies and these uh, and the device companies. And this made the FDA consider these companies as clients rather than as uh, entities to be regulated. If they, if they turn down a drug or cross their masters who pay them, they can not have enough money to pay their payroll, and they can get in trouble in various ways. So the FDA is a mess, and uh, although it started out as a very well-meaning organization, um, there is nothing so strongly fortified that it cannot be taken by money. And these organizations, when they fund two-thirds of a, a $5 billion organization like this, they basically control it completely. The editors and the journals and the medical literature is the same. I mean, basically since 2000, these, they, we, they've been completely unreliable. And that sounds like a big statement, but just think about it, 95% of the journals, articles are ghostwritten by industry sources. So they can put any slant they want on it. The marketing departments uh, call the tune and the, the, the name of the game is getting the New England Journal to promote uh, whatever drug or, or, or uh, device or whatever you, you, they want. And it, it happens like that. So the, the pharma's corporations have been characterized as mobsters by both Peter Ross and Peter Gercha. These are famous commentators who are whistleblowers about the industry. And in fact, all you have to do is go to Wikipedia and you can find that these companies have paid more criminal settlements to federal prosecutors than any industry in history. It's just an unbelievable scene. They disease monger, they make up uh, illnesses, they, they invent uh, uh, treatments, and uh, their interest in patient welfare is not like a physician's. They are interested in profits. So it, it's, 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 a, it's a wild scene. The statistical frauds, they use contract research groups, they hide studies like they did for the human papillomavirus uh, vaccine. Um, you know, that's the work vaccine. Um, so Japan threw that one out altogether. It's garbage in, garbage out. And uh, the, they buy off the panels that ratified that ratify the um, uh, physician standards. So I'm going to end this little uh, rant with a quote from Harry Lloyd, who was the CEO responsible for chloramphenicol, which was an antibiotic, which is, is well known to cause fatalities. It's used occasionally in, in desperate circumstances still. He said, if we put horse manure in a capsule, we could still sell it to 95% of these doctors. So, I mean, I, I'm going to show how the industry sources interlock with the hormones in a moment. Hormones is an uplifting story. They, they've been used for 100 years, and they, they really help. But um, let me just... Um, uh, anyway, so tell me what your reaction to that is and where you want me to go from here. Yeah, I think you did a great job summarizing that. And again, I, if, if people have not you know, heard the podcast on uh, Butcher by Healthcare, because we, you know, I know he goes into a lot 
more in depth. And so I encourage you to go back to listen to that. So I've had a lot of conversations with people here recently about the vaccine and not to you know, turn this into COVID, but you know, they asked me, well, now it's FDA approved. And I say, you know, Gee. that, that does nothing uh, for my comfort level on this vaccine whatsoever, just as everything you just said. So I'll, I'll just, uh, talk about the COVID and the vaccine and the, and the treatments for a moment and just summarize that. You had a fantastic uh, speaker a few episodes ago, and I recommend everybody go back to him because he's a true expert on this. I'm an expert on corruption. So I, you know, I'm, I, I'm an observer of this vaccine thing, and I understand it well because of my uh, interest in medical corruption. But I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not into the weeds about the details of the spike protein or any of that stuff. But anyway, I was locked out of the country when this whole story started and I watched this thing develop and I thought, this is impossible. This, this is, I mean, I can't believe it. And then when they came up with a story that they had a vaccine that was 95% effective, I just had to laugh because I knew these guys hadn't produced anything like this worthwhile in 20 years. Now, maybe we've got the shingles vaccine that's worthwhile, but as far as the flu vaccine, I mean, it's my opinion that that's virtually fraudulent. We spent, we've spent over a hundred million dollars on that stuff collectively in the world. And the amount of good that that does is modest. And I'm not, I'm not anti-vaccine. I've had personally had almost every other vaccine, but the flu vaccine, I, after I read the studies in Cochrane, I realized that it doesn't prevent any of the significant I I illnesses statistically that it, that is purported to help. And it hardly even it changes the symptoms. Um, the other thing is the human papillomavirus vaccine, which we ubiquitously uh, vaccinate our, our children in, in Europe and America with, and that doesn't work either. I mean, Japan just laughed that right out of the country. 1% of them you are using that HPV vaccine. So I, I knew that this was ridiculous. And soon after reading more, I learned that the vac the quote vaccine, the unvax, the concoction that they're injecting into people confers no immunity. I mean, this isn't this the very definition of a vaccine. In other words, you can you can still get the disease. Um, there's no absolute reduction in the risks. In other words, your chance of dying from all causes is not lower if you get the vaccine, which is the most important metric in medicine. It probably, or at least is slated to be the most profitable medication in history. Can you imagine something that has to be given three to five times, or maybe once every six months to everybody in the world. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It makes the psych drugs look amateurish. So psych drugs are given to 17% of Americans, you know, and that that's, that's promiscuous. So, um, so the other thing that I learned quite soon was the vaccine, the quote vaccine was the least of our problems. The real treatments were getting covered up. We have these drugs which have avid antiviral activity and they're being run down and claimed that they're only good for horses when we've used them for perhaps four to six billion people in the world without with complications that are almost zero. So and, and they work pretty well. And when I when I heard about a month and a half ago that perhaps 85 percent of the fatalities could have been prevented by early use of these drugs in combination. I just about fell out of my chair and it, it turned me into an, uh, an activist. And I, I mean, that is, you know, I won't put any labels on it, but just imagine if we could have saved 85% of the 600,000 people who died in the United States due to the COVID or 85% of how many millions who died worldwide 
I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's beyond belief. And, uh, I'm almost, I'm almost inarticulate. I mean, basically I know the pharma companies are in on this. This is not new behavior for them, but they're bolder than they've ever been before. Uh, the media obviously goes along with any, any, uh, uh, screaming narrative that, that goes on. And of course, our, uh, our politicians on both sides of the aisle seem to have, uh, abdicated their responsibility altogether. So, I mean, it's crazy. It is. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy times. So you said your expertise is medical corruption. That's what you've done a lot of your research on. And of course the previous book is uh, we've mentioned. And so what made you kind of take that knowledge and research to then apply that into hormones right. and, and kind of motivation to write this book? So the hormones were my initial interest because I did a cosmetic surgery practice, a uh, 90 plus percent of my patients were women. And by the end of my practice, almost all of them were menopausal or perimenopausal. And I really felt like I had something to offer them if I, if I did the hormone treatments and I, Greg, I ended up doing it essentially for free. My time was free. They had to pay for the medicines. They paid for the surgery, which was a big enough chunk. So I felt like I should do it. And my results were, I mean, they were much more profound in my opinion than popping a pair of breast implants in these women. I mean, they had something that probably would make them live longer and they definitely felt better. The transformation in the women I thought was more than the transformation of the men, but my experience is limited in men. So I, 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 I pretty much offered it. I, you know, I mean, you, you can't persuade, um, you, you don't want to try to persuade any of the hormones, uh, because, there's such a counter narrative going on now. And I got into this thing and I tried to figure out what the counter narrative and where it was coming from, because these things help so much and they were so good for people. And so step-by-step, step, I got deeper into the corruption thing. And when I got to a certain point with the hormones, I understood that. And I ventured into all of medicine and wrote the first book. And then I finished up the second book later. And, and I'm, probably not going to go in order here of your book, but um, you have a whole chapter since we're kind of talking about this and, and uh, you know, that says hormones are vilified and you talk about um, how hormone usage was suppressed. And you mentioned the WHI study, um, you mentioned testosterone's fake news uh, is what you call that. And so I guess talk a little bit about maybe the, the history of that and, and, you know, why and how these were initially vilified and why there's still so many people out there today, even though the, like the WHI study has been enshrined. You know, yeah. Yeah. But, but there's it's still, yeah, there's still so many people out there that just, you know, have these misconceptions about, um, you know, hormone replacement therapy. So, you know, talk a little bit about just how all this got started. So when you look for the motive for a crime, you want to look and see key bono who benefits. Right. And so I can't trace exactly how this medical establishment, which includes the pharmaceutical companies and the FDA, the FDA basically regulated these things and started many counter narratives to our best hormones. On the other hand, we have experience with these things. It dates back 100 years, 120 years for thyroid, you know, nearly a hundred years for progesterone or for estrogen and testosterone. I mean, the, the experience and the number of studies is stunning. And so in this thing, this billion dollar trial is probably the most expensive um, medical study ever done, which was published in 2002. It examined 160,000 women and it used two hormones that were outdated at the time that the study was published. 
the horse urine estrogen, right? The Premarin type um, estrogen and Provera type uh, progesterone, which is a chemical uh, progesterone, right? And so the WHI found some small problems, mainly with the Provera. Um, but the, the drugs ex it examined were obsolete at the time the thing was published. So the authors sensationalize and embellish their findings, and they actually stopped the trial early to produce another finding. I'm not sure why they did it, but it certainly was a more dramatic um, payoff in terms of publicity for them. And a billion dollars buys a lot of puffery. So the, the people that have analyzed this later have universally thought that the whole thing was ridiculous and it almost proved the opposite of what um, it, it, what they purported to show. And in fact, um, when bioidentical hormones are used, which means hormones that are the exact same as in the human body, instead of horse urine estrogen or chemical progesterone, when bioidentical hormones are used with a few caveats, they are totally safe. I mean, it's, a, it's a, just a, it's a, it's a crazy thing. I don't want to run down Primer and Provera completely because at the time before that this thing was published, they were the best we have, and they did contribute to people's health. But now for long-term use, they're totally outmoded and they shouldn't be used, uh, but they're still being advertised. It's an unbelievable scene. The, the, D, uh, the um, FDA put black box warnings on estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. They warned about um, stroke, blood, blood clots, breast cancer, heart disease, and this is totally untrue for the, for the uh, modern versions of these uh, hormones, the bioidentical versions. And so, for example, the stroke and the heart attacks for testosterone, they looked through the wrong end of the, of the telescope. They found, they found people who had strokes and heart disease and tried to find ones that were taking the, the hormones. So, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a crazy thing how they were allowed to do this. And if you read my Butchered by Healthcare book, you'll understand how bought off the FDA really is. It's called regulatory capture. That's the thing that they talk about. It, it happens in the financial industry as well. The, the regulators of the banks are similar. They're, they're thought to be totally influenced by, uh, you know, the big, big uh, investment bankers. Anyway, it's a sad thing. There's separate stories for thyroid growth hormone and progesterone and insulin, and I can go into those if you want. Um, yeah, I was actually going to uh, ask you about growth hormone um, because you you did talk briefly about that, and um, I am seeing that personally because one of the uh, the things that, that we do here is we uh, a little bit of peptide therapy, and so one of the peptides that um, that I have used uh, a lot of is a you know what's called a growth hormone. Um, releasing peptide uh, that stimulates your body to produce more of its own growth hormone. Well, anyways, uh, the one that I was using has that the FDA has been after these for a while because they can't get a piece of the pie. And so I know slowly over the last several years, they've been kind of trying to pull the rug out from peptides. And most recently, uh, it's affecting one of these growth hormone like peptides. So they're, they're slowly trying to you know, to, to get rid of all these, these peptides that can really do, uh, you know, good in a lot of people. So, um, yeah, what, what's your take on, on the, the growth hormones? So growth hormone, um, there was a study in the early 1960s by Daniel Rudman, who, who found that this thing had great effects on aging. He, he had, a, a older men and they, they gained muscle mass. They did better in many ways. Um, but growth hormone, the FDA has made it so it's 
become so expensive and it's been made almost unobtainable. And the, the stories about it include causing cancer, right? Well, we've got a study of 6,800 patients that showed that it didn't cause cancer. But uh, the rumors persist, and even as late as 2020, the FDA has printed material that it causes cancer, right? So this thing has, became, has become so hard to prescribe, and uh, it's even claimed by some sources to be illegal to prescribe for aging, which of course isn't true because it's off-label prescription of an on-label drug, right? So, and proprietary manufacturing has rendered this stuff just phenomenally expensive. So in the last thing that's happened to it, um, along with testosterone, they made this a schedule three drug. So it, it, they, they pretend like this thing is something dangerous that has to be regulated like an opioid. The thing has been tarred with a sports doping, uh, thing. And of course, I mean, I don't have an opinion on what is appropriate for the sports, obviously taking some level of hormone, uh, including HGH and testosterone and everything else, it was probably bad for your health and how to make it fair for sport events. I don't know, but for, uh, anti-aging, this stuff might be the very safest and the best hormone. I mean, maybe, but we don't know our experience with it is more limited. Um, it's not limited, but it's more limited than it is with testosterone. I mean, testosterone has been used for a hundred years and, you know, thyroid for 120 years, you know, we know all about those. Um, so that's, that's growth hormone in a nutshell. Okay. Well, let's talk about thyroid briefly. I guess big pharma has really pushed the, uh, the synthroid and the levothyroxine. And I, I know at least at one point it was the most prescribed uh, drug in the United States, I think. And, and so, and, but there's still most doctors out there frown upon the, uh, you know, the pork thyroid, the, the more natural thyroid that would, that has the T4 and T3 in it. Um, I'm assuming they frown on that because once again, big pharma's hands uh, isn't in that medication. Um, but but yeah, talk about thyroid for me. So, pork thyroid is our most consistent preparation, and they have they have furthered this narrative that it's it's not a consistent preparation that there are problems with it. Uh, in order to promote the synthetic thyroid, mm -hmm. now you you know all this, Greg, but let me review this for your listeners. The thyroid in humans essentially has two components, T3 with three iodines and T4, which is, has four. Now the porcine thyroid has both with a lot of T3 and a few pig thyroids that don't make any difference, but it's been used again since the late 1800s. Now thyroid is nearly a perfect medication. If you adjust it properly, it, it precisely replicates and, 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 um, you know, reproduces something that's completely natural in your body. And the T4 produced by industry called originally called Synthroid, that was the patented version, soft patent now, um, was a breakthrough. And it was thought that the T4 converts to T3 enough so you could just supply the T4. And since T4 was patented, the industry um, promoted it and they claim that it was better than the uh, pork thyroid, which has both. Well, you know, and I know with our experience dealing with patients that many times T4 does not convert perfectly to T3. And when we check the T3 levels in the patient's blood, they don't have enough. And we, when we supply, when we change them either to pork th thyroid, which has T3, or we give them synthetic T3, um, they, they feel much better. And the people like you and I 
uh, generally believe that perhaps 30% of the women over 40 benefit from the thyroid, uh, thyroid administration. Now, you got to understand the politics here. First of all, industry sources have given the endocrinologist millions of dollars a year to promote this line that T4 is the only way to go. So, so it's less effective. The other thing about the endocrinologist is they deal with a disease called Graves disease, which is 3% of the population. It's very common. So they've seen uh, toxic thyroid effects from Graves disease. And that's a condition where your thyroid sort of goes crazy and produces a lot of uh, thyroid hormone and you have trouble getting rid of it. You, you have to take other drugs. It takes months to calm the thyroid down. It's not an easy thing. Like as if you're taking excess thyroid, if you take the wrong dose of porcine thyroid or T4, you can just stop it. If you have these symptoms, you don't feel as good. And most patients will stop it on their own. So the endocrinologists are concerned about complications from Graves disease, and they see complications in Graves disease where they can't, they can't calm down the situation just by stopping the drug. Um, you know, they claim that excess thyroid causes atrial fibrillation and osteoporosis. Well, this is true for Graves disease, but it's almost unreported for exogenous or administered thyroid. So thyroid is super safe. It should be available widely. In Thailand, it's over the counter. You know, our, our patients can order it on their own, but the, the little pills are probably a different, they're probably not as strong as the, they, you, can, you can order a thousand one grain pills from Thailand. I'm not recommending this. We can't do this. We can't recommend anything like that uh, it, from the United States, but it's quite possible to order this stuff. Um, but um, it would require uh, testing to figure out just what you're getting. You know, in other words, you have, so the summary of thyroid is this takes some experience to you to it's harder, uh, harder uh, medication to use than, than these other drugs, which you can almost give them all the same dose and they'll come out fine. Um, but the thyroid needs to be adjusted fairly precisely. And it needs somebody like Greg Dennis or an older physician who's had experience with the uh, ins and outs of looking at these people's symptoms and adjusting it based on the symptoms as well as just the darn lab tests. The other thing the endocrinologists promote is this confusing test called a TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone. Now the TSH is an imprecise measure of what's going on with your thyroid activity because there are two uh, active thyroids, the T3 and the T4, and the TSH is just a, a brain, uh, uh, brain thing that stimulates the thyroid gland. And so using that is a, kind of a, uh, a backward way of trying to measure what's going on in the body. Um, so they promoted this thing. It's confused everybody. And it, you know, people like Greg, who, who don't draw a TSH, they get criticized by these, uh, this guild of endocrinologists. Now I don't want to be disrespectful. The endocrinologists spend years learning about the glandular activities, but just like everyone else, they're influenced by money and they've been heavily uh, subsidized by industry. Uh, they're, they're professional organizations. And this, this line, this almost irrational line that porcine thyroid is bad. Um, it, they, they promote this. So anyway, that's the uh, growth hormone. I mean, I can get into progesterone and insulin if you want. Let me, uh, it, it, we'll see if we have time. I want to circle back around a minute, you know, to the testosterone and, and hormone replacement therapy in, in women. So it's a big part of what we do here at our practice, just because I feel like, and I tell new patients this all the time, that it's a big piece. You know, what we try to do here is optimize one's health. And we do that through nutrition. We do that through optimal weight, uh, you know, supplements and optimizing of hormones and 
you know, we feel like that it's a, it's a big piece of your overall health for, you know, just overall health, longevity, um, quality of life, all that stuff. Um, but so, so with that in mind, talk about, I guess we can start with women and, and talk about just some of the benefits that you've seen in hormone replacement therapy in women. Uh, and then, and then also, I was also going to mention, cause you were talking about specialists. Um, I, I see this all the time where they're coming in and, and their gynecologist is still prescribing the Primarin and the Primpro. Uh, if, if they even are on hormone replacement therapy and some of them are scared of it. And, and so that's always a hurdle for me to jump is to say, okay, well, look, don't, don't listen to, don't listen to your gynecologist when it comes to hormones, which that's sometimes hard for patients to swallow. Uh, but talk about, I guess, some of the, the benefits in particularly in women, hormone replacement therapy and why you recommend it. Cause I feel like it's a big piece of, of their overall health. Okay. So Greg, you're having the same problem I had. And I, I wrote this partly to help the patients and it's written down to the ninth grade level. It's not, I didn't, don't say that to be condescending. I say that to, to tell you it's easy to read. So let me just go into one of the biggest benefits of hormones of all. And before I go into the subjective benefits, now this is an unbelievable story. I mean, it, I just, when I understood this, I, I just fell out of my chair. Hor estrogen use after the age of 50 in women prevents up to 80% of Alzheimer's. Now just think about that for a moment. Alzheimer's is probably the most expensive disease in America, if you count long-term care costs also. So in order to drive this point home, I printed in the print version of the book, I printed Appendix C, 75 references that showed that. So just so no one could call me out on it. I mean, I want to make sure that you understand. I didn't cherry pick, pick things. This is a substantial finding. And now we use these drugs. It's like a big existential dilemma, whether if you're demented, whether you get on these drugs for $1,000, $2,000 a month. They, and you know, even the people who developed them can't claim with a straight face that they work very well. Um, so we got these patent drugs on one side and inexpensive estradiol on the other side, the benefits I saw. So I, I, I dealt with these women and what I did was I did something simple. I stuck a testosterone pellet, um, through their belly button. So they had no scars. Um, I offered it to anyone that had a cosmetic surgery. And I of course talked to them about the, the risks and complications and so on. And they signed up and I didn't push it. Uh, but the ones who took it had three months of peace and quiet with their hormones because testosterone alone can be used as a, as a complete hormone supplementation because it supplies estrogen. It breaks down into estrogen and they get very even levels and they feel freaking great. And I, they, they, it was a way, you know, if you just say, look, here's a prescription, take these and see if you feel better the woman has to believe in it enough to take him for two weeks with a testosterone pellet if they decided to go for it. Um, and often I could do that when they were under anesthesia, it was easy. They never even noticed it. They never, you know, so if with the testosterone pellet, they get a two and a half or three month trial of this almost complete hormone therapy. And I mean, they, they pretty much, uh, understood how much it helped. And these women were transformed. I mean, you see, you saw that every day. I mean, I, my wife thought that the majority of the divorces over 50 are caused by hormonal women's menopause. And I, I mean, those of us over 50, especially those of us in our sixties, we understand that could easily be true. So 
that's how I got into it. And uh, that's what I saw. I mean, I tried to get them on the whole panoply of hormones, but a lot of them just wanted to go on testosterone. And the ones that didn't have any money, I offered them injectable and that cost a dollar a week. That's it. So I could give them, I could give them a, a bottle of that stuff and they could go home and, you know, take care of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you mentioned Alzheimer's and, and it, it can really cure or prevent a lot of things. I mean, osteoporosis is a big one. You know, the osteoporosis medications that we have uh, are, are awful. Um, and I tell women all the time, I mean, if you get started on hormone replacement therapy and, and do it properly, you know, after menopause and we optimize your vitamin D levels, like we, we can prevent osteoporosis. Um, and so I'd much rather go down that route than some of these, you know, uh, uh, medications out there that they have for osteoporosis. Were you able to, bisphosphamides are the, are the medications you're referring to. They cause jawbone rotting and femur fracture. Now, do you want that or do you want a little osteo? Uh, and they, they, they invented a, a diagnosis called osteopenia, which has no real meaning in terms of right. symptomatology. So were you ever able to administer bisphosphamides? Because I believe it's a shot. And I believe that the doctors are picking up 20% of the revenue that they get paid as a, as a kickback for doing that, just like cancer chemo drugs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I use those somewhat of quite a few years ago, but I mean, I was in corporate medicine, so yeah. I don't, I mean, I, somebody I else got the, yeah, somebody, somebody else got, got the money. I, yeah. I would have never, yeah, that would have never came back to me, but yeah. So um, overall, you know, in, in women, I mean, just the benefits and hormone replacement therapy, in my opinion, are huge, not only for health and health span, but uh, you know, for the prevention of disease and just for quality of life. I mean, they just, they, they feel so much better. So it's sad that they're, you know, there's just so much misinformation out there, which is what you, you point out in the book. I, I want to emphasize one critical point uh, that I always forget to say, but almost always you're getting too little hormone when you're treating, when you're getting treated, you almost never, I mean, it's like a 1% thing that they get too much. They're afraid to take the hormones because yeah. of all these narratives and they don't get enough to create the health benefits. Maybe they get enough to get the symptom relief and not the health benefits. For example, the topical estrogens create symptom relief, right? The patch, but it does not have any activity on the heart. Estrogen is what keeps you from getting heart disease for both men and women. And you, you've got to get your estrogen levels up. If you're a man by taking enough testosterone, you got to get that level up to 70, 80. Um, and, and then you don't have problems with heart disease in, you know, or certainly less a lower risk. So let's switch over to men for a minute. And, and so, uh, again, just like with women, I'm a big advocate of optimizing testosterone therapy in men uh, for not only longevity and health reasons, but obviously they, they feel a lot better. Uh, they're just like with women, there's a lot of misinformation out there regarding the, the men. So talk about that for a minute, specifically uh, as it has to do with maybe um, prostate cancer. I see that one a lot. And then uh, also, I want to mention it is important to uh, find a, a provider that knows what they're doing, because I see so many men come in from these men's clinics that uh, they put the estrogen blocker, because you've mentioned that in another chapter, but that they put the estrogen blocker uh, in the injectable medicine, medicine, so they don't even check it. They just automatically put it in there. And so I've seen men come to me with estrogen levels of like zero or five, which can really be dangerous. Um, and, and again, you bring that up in your book. So just talk about uh, testosterone therapy in men for a minute. Okay. So the estrogen blockers are the, the reason why we know we, 
the re estrogen blockers are used to treat uh, women with cancer, right? And the reason why these men have gotten started on it is the bodybuilders are freaking crazy. They use doses of testosterone and other anabolics that are five to, they start at five to 10 times the replacement dose. It's just, it's stunning. And people outside of it don't understand that. Well, when that happens, maybe an estrogen blocker is, is indicated for a short period of time because they get growth of breast tissue. Most of these guys do get their breasts cut off, right? They get it taken off the skin and the nipple stays, but they, they get all that breast tissue taken out. So maybe it makes sense for them for short periods of time, but for everyone else, this stuff is injurious. I mean, it, it's, it's actually, it causes a lot of problems. It causes heart disease and a lot of other stuff. So read, read my uh, chapter about uh, how bad the blockers are. Um, and I've got a lot of references in there. They ruin people's health. Finasteride causes a lot of impotence. I mean, it's, I think one of your other uh, guests mentioned that, but it's, it's, it's not worth it. Um, you, you know, you need your DHT, you, you don't want your, uh, uh, sexual characteristics cut off and you can always get a hair transplants, which I have gotten. And you don't think, I don't think you have Greg, I've got 2,500 no, grafts there and it doesn't look too bad. I mean, you still no, it looks good. scalp through it, but it, it, you know, a little bit of green grass up there is better than nothing. So, um, the other things that are common, so prostate cancer, dozens of studies show no relationship to testosterone. And men with higher levels have a reduced risk. And it's probably because yep. of their estradiol. It gets broken down to estrogen and the estrogen is protective. Actually, we have a huge literature about treating prostate cancer with estradiol with a, actually we have it, you know, the synthetic estrogens, that's the older literature, but it's being treated now with estradiol, which is the bioidentical estrogen, the, the good one, E2. And so you know, you got to be careful about this if you're a practitioner because testosterone blockers are used to treat prostate cancer. Now, check these statistics out. The Lupron and the other testosterone blockers have decreased the mortality or death rate from prostate cancer by a third. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? That's true. But the overall mortality or death from all causes is probably worse or at least the same right? So these things are not, not good drugs. They are very problematic. Medicine is an art. Uh, the, 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 they, they should all be used carefully with uh, foreknowledge of the problems. And, uh, when you drop or crash somebody's testosterone levels, he dies of heart disease and high blood pressure and other things and feels terrible. You know, my friends on Lupron feel freaking terrible and they get on the estrogen treatment and, many times their PSAs go down and they're, they're fine. They don't really feel like having a lot of sex, but they, they don't feel crummy all the time. They don't feel fatigued. Um, so, uh, that, that's the, the prostate cancer story in a nutshell. Basically we got this black box warning on testosterone from the FDA, which is false, uh, about, about, uh, prostate cancer and, the uh, testosterone should be used judiciously and, and, uh, you know, you've got to, you got to use your judgment and maybe follow the, uh, follow the, uh, uh, PSA markers and so on. Th there's another issue that you may be, your, your re listeners may be interested in is that high red blood cell count. Do you want me to chat, yeah. chat about yeah. that? Okay. Sure. So yeah. one thing that happens universally when you get adequate dose of testosterone is your red cell count goes up. Now this is absolutely nothing to worry about because you're, you know, and all the, all the internists seem to make a mistake and think it's um, a, a disease called polycythemia vera, but in PV, the platelets 
and the white cells also go up. So all you have to do is check your regular uh, CBC and find out if it's just the red cells. Now, in the case of the, the red cell elevation due to testosterone, it's the same as altitude exposure. People in, who live in Vail and certainly at high altitudes in the Himalaya, they don't have higher uh, rates of stroke or anything else. And so there are other models uh, that I go into that um, do not have higher rates of blood clotting that have high red blood cells counts. So, but the internists and the surgeons want to bleed you. They want to exsanguinate you before the surgery. And they, they say that you should go in and donate blood. It's just nonsense. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like knee jerk medicine. So briefly, uh, cause you mentioned some hormones, we talked about, you know, females and males kind of separately, and then you throw some things in for both of them, such as melatonin, vitamin D, DHEA, HGH, which we've already talked about. So, uh, talk briefly, maybe about your thoughts on melatonin, vitamin D, uh, boy, I harp on a lot of vitamin D, yep. uh, here, and then maybe some DHEA, which we actually just start carrying in our clinic here. So talk about okay. those if you so. Briefly, this is important. Um, they say there aren't adequate studies for the vitamin D and COVID, and there aren't. So the way this works is we have 275,000 um, Scandinavians in an observational study, and the ones who had higher vitamin D levels, they were not as sick. They had lesser deaths, and we have studies of COVID that show that the there are higher death rates and so on in, in people with low vitamin D levels to begin with. This does not prove that taking vitamin D would help, but it's very suggestive. And vitamin D is cheap, and everybody should freaking take vitamin D. The Florida lifeguards run a D level of 130. So you don't have to worry about levels up near 100, and you don't have to get excited just because your lab value says it's it's 100, and that's over that is too high. Uh, and Greg can uh, help you with the doses, but uh, it's it, it's av available everywhere. DHEA. Yeah. Let me, I'm sorry, uh, just to add real quickly to that. And um, this is, I realize this is just three people, but just to go along with what you just said. And so this was just, uh, I've noticed this in the last, I believe it was two weeks. So I've had three patients um, that came down with COVID. Okay. Um, and that, I mean, I have more than that, but these three in particular that I want to point out. So the first one is a friend of mine who I was checking on regularly and he, I mean, he breezed through it. And I said, how you, you know, want to ask, how are you feeling? And he said, well, he goes, I went and ran two miles. And by the end of it, you know, I could tell I was a little bit tired. And I said, if you're running two miles with COVID, I think you're doing okay. Um, so I said, what's your vitamin D level? His vitamin D level was 108. Okay. Second patient uh, came in, we was talking to him, they breezed through it, uh, hardly any symptoms. And we checked their vitamin D level was in the eighties. I can't remember another one, the third one. And this, this was all in a week and a half, two weeks period. Uh, third one, uh, same similar thing. I mean, like, yeah, you know, I had a cold, you know, two, three, four days, whatever. Uh, I was fine. Their level was 102. So you're doing, again, what were their doses? What were their doses, Greg? Um, so the, 10, I, oh, at least the first one, um, they, they were different. Each one, one person was taken, I believe, um, up to 50 for a short time and then backed off to 20. I believe one guy had been on 20. And then when he gets saw his levels, he had backed off to 10. And so it, it was all different. Right. Um, and, and so you've, you know, to know though, people ask me how much they should take. And I said, well, you got to get a vitamin D level. And unfortunately there are hardly any doctors because all the new patients, like, you know, you know, I'm, I'm looking at recent labs, nobody checks a vitamin D level. I'm like, well, if I know where you're starting from, I can give you some better recommendations. But anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there again. I know that's only three people, but they all three had that in common that they had really high, not just normal, but really high levels of vitamin D, a couple of them were over a hundred 
all three of them breeze through it. You can get your D levels drawn at lifeextension.com over the counter, and you can get all your labs drawn. So if you go in to see Dr. Greg with your labs, he'd be very pleased. There real, you go. Real labs. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry to interrupt. Go that's all right. Um, DHEA. I hope you're selling long acting DHEA because the short acting DHEA is not as good. Um, it's it, it, at least it's not thought to be as good by my mentors. I don't have any substantial evidence of that, but you can get that over the counter too. And I think it's nutrascriptives.com. The reference is in my, uh, hormone secrets. Um, but it's a, um, almost a harmless uh, supplement, which is similar to a mild testosterone and a pill. It has many positive effects. Uh, and I mean, I don't notice it much when I take it, but there are men who are afraid of taking testosterone because of all these stories who take only DHEA, who have a profound improvement in their sexuality, their muscular development, and so on and so forth, older guys. So if you can't persuade your patients of anything else, if you're a doctor listening to this, have them take DHEA and the doses are unknown and the, um, the higher doses are probably harmless. I mean, uh, Neil Rosier, who's a mentor of both of ours, I think, uh, he, has some of his older women on 600 milligrams a day. These are women in their seventies and eighties. And he says that has an avid effect on their arthritis and they're dancing in chorus lines in Palm Springs. And that's, that's his story. Um, so th this is a harmless. And so what, what next, Greg? Uh, melatonin. You okay. mentioned that in there. So. so there's a mythology about melatonin that it changes uh, white hair back to dark hair. Right. And it improves the ability of the eye to focus, right? Which is a aging phenomenon. Your, your lens and your eye gets stiff and you can't see both near and far. Um, so that supposedly, uh, supposedly I've been in rooms of people that have seen the hair reversal thing. And I had other people stand up and claim that their, uh, ophthalmologists had documented improvement in their ability to focus, right. As they took melatonin over time, melatonin is virtually harmless. You can take a hundred milligrams and that you need the long acting stuff too. And you can get that over the counter. I think that one's uh, might be available at life extension or nutroscriptives.org. I'm not sure of that last one it's, uh, it's in my book. Um, but, um, uh, it's used at bedtime. Um, it does cause vivid dreams. Personally, I can't stand the stuff, but I've tried, I've tried it several times and it messes up my sleep somehow. I'm kind of a, a jumpy sleeper, but a lot of people do very well with it. And if you have a woman who hasn't responded to progesterone, uh, and, and who's postmenopausal, uh, taking some melatonin may do the thing for her sleep. Increased doses of progesterone are probably the first way to go. Like hundreds, I mean, you know, 800 milligrams or a thousand milligrams of progesterone at night. And the, that might just do be the perfect thing for, for somebody like that. Yeah. We didn't uh, get a chance to talk about progesterone, but um, very important for women, you know, and, and, you know, as you're trying to balance the hormones, uh, you know, in, in postmenopausal women. So, um, before we wrap up anything else, just maybe about the book that we didn't mention that you want to throw out there. Sure. Um, my cover, check out this cover. See, my cover is a mask that I found a four foot high mask that I found in a Mexican restaurant in Houston. I took a picture of it and I put my, the hormones on top of it. And this is supposed to be what's going on in a woman's brain all the time. It's very hormonally influenced. Of course, it's true for men too just to be uh, ecumenical about it, but. And so for people interested in the book, I know your website is Robert Yoho, Y-O-H-O author.com. Uh, is that the best place to, to find you? I know they can also find the book on uh, Amazon. 
uh, anywhere else or any other way they can get that. My, my books have 120 or so five-star reviews on Amazon and I've, they're also sold on many other platforms. I put them on everything I could. Greg, this is not a money-making operation. The ebook is four bucks, you know, so you can, and you've got all the dosing and everything else and uh, tables about how to, how to do the drugs and everything. It's meant for both physicians and patients. And I hope your patients will, um, they'll be easier on you with fewer questions because they'll understand it. If you want this ebook, I will give it to you at no charge. You can distribute it to your patients. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Appreciate that. Um, all right. So the book is Hormone Secrets, Feel Great and Age Well Using Bioidenticals uh, by Dr. Robert Yoho. The previous book, uh, as we've mentioned several times, is Butchered by Healthcare. And again, there's another podcast episode uh, early on if you want to go back and listen to that. Uh, so as I always do, and I did before, I'm going to ask you again, because I always finish up with uh, if you could give us a health tip um, today that would just make everybody healthier, what would you say? <laughs> Gosh, there's a lot of tips. I went uh, keto about three months ago, and I, I, I've lost some weight and it feels pretty good. I did have the keto flu for two or three weeks. In other words, I, I couldn't exercise. I felt kind of tired, but, uh, it's easy. And the FDA has poisoned us with the, 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 the drug, uh, you know, poor regulation of the drugs. And they've also, uh, poisoned the narrative around, uh, diets and, uh, and they've kept us away from animal fats and higher fat diets, and they probably promoted the obesity epidemic. So, so no that's, doubt. that's yeah. another, yeah. I mean, it's horrible. Yeah. yeah. Those yeah. guys well. are really working against us. Yeah, just uh, since you're eating that high fat, just make make sure and take your cholesterol medicine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's very much tongue in cheek. Yeah, the, yeah. My, uh, my hopefully my listeners know I'm I'm joking about that, but but uh, well, very good. Uh, well, we appreciate you coming back on the show and uh, talking about about your new book. So what what's next for you? Is there going to be another book? I think the toughest thing facing America now is this uh, vaccine and the concealment of these. Um, therapies for uh, COVID. And it is, it's really the most outrageous narrative I've ever seen in my medical lifetime. I mean, I, I just cannot imagine what's going on. And I'm, I'm in the midst of getting involved with, uh, with groups in California and so on to uh, start litigation against various, uh, you know, and they're, they're organized groups. And if you don't mind, I'll stick the stuff in your show notes to uh, let people know how they can get involved. Because once you understand what's going on, you won't think about anything else. I mean, the money printing seems secondary now to me because I mean, they're talking about injecting everybody in the world with this crazy concoction, you know, and, I mean, it's, it's an abrogation of our liberties that are, it's just, it's outrageous. And the, and this freaking stuff doesn't work. I mean, the studies are adulterated and I, it, you know, Nietzsche said it best. I'm not disappointed that you lied to me. I'm disappointed that I can never trust you again. And that's the way I feel about the pharma companies. They lied to us repeatedly. They've got federal settlements uh, with uh, criminal settlements in the billions of dollars every year. And now we're supposed to believe that there are studies on this vaccine, this quote vaccine, uh, have some meaning. And my, my friends are taken in. I mean, I can't believe it. I got smart friends who, 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 who read this and they say, well, they say the study, it, the, the hospitalizations were concealed, but I, I think it probably works. You know, I mean, they, when you leave a metric out like that, you, you know, there's a reason for it. So anyway, yeah, that's a yeah. crazy, crazy times, but, uh, yeah. All right. Well, appreciate your research, everything you do. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. 
and uh, we will uh, talk to you next time. Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening to FitRx. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlifedc.com or you can email me at drgreg at vibrantlifedc.com.